Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so the, the Abiquiu week that uh, that we, we did was very much the way I imagine old filmmaking was before... Mm-hmm. Um, TV and internet and Netflix because uh, every night we'd pretty much get back to the hotel and um, just arrange a dinner and we'd all go take over the 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 Abiquiu Inn restaurant awesome. and just all sit there and drink and you know and share stories and it was fun I mean it was very yeah. communal you know in Santa Fe you know we I mean we did spend a lot of time together and a lot of social time together but it was just sort of people kind of disperse and go back you know mm-hmm. do their own things people would go home on the weekends. Right. When we were, you know, that was on location, on location, like going yeah. going up to Abiquiu. And there's something to that. Like we talked to all the Breaking Bad guys a bunch who, you know, mm-hmm. go out to Albuquerque and just kind of hole up and they are their own community. And luckily the city has embraced them. But like, I think when all they have is to concentrate on that thing they're making. Yes. You know, and, and it shows. Yes. Yeah. And we actually, um, you know, it's funny. Breaking Bad is like is like the thing out there. Yeah. You know, you talk to all the crew, everybody in our crew had vests, shirts, hats, you know, the, the teamsters, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the grips, the, the sound guys, the, you know, even the, the AD was, you know, had AD'd on, on Breaking Bad. So, uh, or one of the assistant, you know, the second second. Right. Um, and, uh, so yeah. And, and, you know, the new tax credit, um, right. New Mexico just increased it, I think, from twenty five to thirty percent, and oh, it's wow. called the Breaking Bad Tax Credit now, which, which is uh, which is great. <laughs> That's I mean, great. it's great, you know. And and they actually have uh, they have a great name for it, you know. How it's sort of like, you know, the, uh, Bollywood is like Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, for, so they have Tamaliwood now out there, which is awesome. which is just terrific. <laughs> and I think the guy that actually came up with that copyrighted it, and so if you want a t shirt or a hat, you have to go through him. But very, it was that's very, awesome. very clever. local economy. There. Yes, that's oh, amazing. Totally, yeah. Um, that's so cool. Anyway, hi, Ryan Condal's here. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, I I got in touch with you because I flipped out over the Six Gun script. Uh, Thank you. It's so much fun. Thank you. Um, How the hell did you get this job? Who do you think you are? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, so yes, I mean, I went through um, much of that uh, myself. (laughs) You've sat with a lot of writers here that, um, you know, that we all um, wallow in (laughs) self-doubt. But I, I, uh, um, first of all, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I I was telling you, like, offline that, you know, that I listen to it all all the time. I was actually just listening to uh, Leslie Headlands today while I was driving all over the valley and everything. And uh, and I, I really get a kick out of it and my you know my my uh, very good friend uh, Jeff Morris who's another writer comedy writer turned turned me on to it he said you should really oh, listen to this so, thing. Nice. so there are a bunch of writers in our little circle yes we do talk uh, <laughs> that uh, that enjoy this this a lot so that is awesome you know hear. that's yeah. why I started doing it cool cool I good. wanted someone to do it good. and no one would yeah so I was very excited that's when I did. saw your uh, your name in my inbox because <laughs> when I first saw it come up I was like did I sign up for some like mailing list or something that I wasn't aware of and I was like oh this is a personal email this is very <laughs> cool better. yeah so you well, see, maybe not. We'll Self-doubt. see how things go. Yeah, we'll, see, we'll see how the, the rest of the hour goes. So, um, yeah, so I, uh, to answer your question about how I got involved with the Six Gun, I actually signed with uh, uh, William Morris back in, uh, back in May. I made a, made a change in my, in my agents um, uh, for you know, various reasons. Mm-hmm. But I, um, when, it, when I got over there, they had this huge TV department, which I had never really you know, had access to before in my, in, in my past. Because I, I came up as a smaller agency? I, well, I, yeah, I mean, I came up as a feature writer. Right. 
so I've been I've been writing features for five years, um, uh, and have you know made made a you know made managed to make mm-hmm. you know five years of worth of living mm-hmm. on it you know at it. So um, uh, so I was you know I was just looking to kind of take the next step. And when I got it over at WME, uh, my feature agents that were signing me said we want to introduce you to our TV department. Mm-hmm. So I met these great agents named Teresa Kang and Ryan Drazen, and they said uh, you know we should you know we should really talk. It's the beginning of TV season. You should, you should, you know, you're established in the future world. People know your name. You should go out and sell a TV show. So I said, okay, cool. I like TV, you know, but I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, and I, I, I follow the industry. I love movies. I, mm-hmm. I'm always like, I'm on top of it and, and everything. But TV was just always that other thing. And I didn't understand so it. Funny. And I didn't understand like pitching versus specking yeah. and like all the, you know, all the things that go into it. And it, it kind of made me. A little, you know, nervous, sure. and and it's, so, an, it's a new language. It's a related language. But exactly, it's a new language. exactly, and and totally different. Um, you know, different groups of people that sort of you know bifurcated mm-hmm. fe- feature, t- you know, TV, and and usually they they don't cross all that much. Although it's happening, a, you know, a lot more now. Um, so I started taking meetings. I started doing the, you know, the water bottle and couch tour mm-hmm. and the you know, TV world, <laughs> and meeting all these people I'd never met before. And then at this point, you were they were just general meetings. Yes, you weren't pitching anything. Totally, totally general. And at some point, I I took a meeting over at um, at uh, closed on Mondays, which is the uh, they're they're the producer that has the exclusive right to all of the Oni Press books. So they have. I didn't know. That. Yeah, so they have the um, you know it's a shopping right or the you know but they're the guys that like if Oni Press has published a book, they're the guys that can go out and take mm-hmm. you know sell it to TV, sell it to film. And um, they, uh, uh, so, you know, my agents introduced me to, to, um, to them, to these guys, Andy Bourne and Eric Gitter over there, and, uh, and they uh, were, like, really jazzed about, like, the feature stuff that I had written, because I had written all these big kind of mythic, mm-hmm. you know, features. I, the spec I broke, broke in with was this uh, script called Galahad, which was a uh, reinvention of the King Arthur myths, mm. and kind of a, you know, different, different take on that. And then, um, and then I got this job to write Hercules, which is now becoming yeah. the movie with uh, with Brett Ratner and uh, and The Rock as as Hercules. <clears throat> That's a big kind of, you know, it's a mythic story that sort of demythologizes the myth. But <laughs> I work in these big worlds where you you establish a world and you establish all the rules and you live in it. And um, they were like, we have, we, you know, we have this big showrunner. That's <laughs> we can't tell you who it is, and we can't tell you why we can't tell you who it is. That's interested yeah, in. Couldn't tell you who. It was. Well, there was there was something going on with like I, there was something going on with the book. I'm still not quite sure what all that was about, or whether they were just trying to like entice me, right. you know. And uh, and and but we, you know we have this 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 property. We want you to take it home and read it, and, uh, and then you know if you like it, call us, come back, and we'll you know we'll get you in the room uh, with with him or her it or whatever. And so I took it home and I read it. And I love westerns, like westerns. You know, next to science fiction, westerns mm-hmm. are like my favorite genre. Can't really explain why. My dad liked them. He didn't. You know, I think he. he you know, he liked a lot of the older ones, but like a lot of the stuff that I like, my dad was a huge sci-fi fan. Hmm. You know, growing up, so he liked Dune and original series Star Trek and and things. And I love Star Wars. And then yeah, you know, we sort of you know met somewhere in the eighties, and he introduced me all <laughs> his stuff, and I would show him the new stuff right. and, all, and all that. And that's sort of how I came up and developed my interests along the way. And um, but I've always loved westerns, and I start reading this thing, and there's like ghosts and magic guns and undead and I'm like this is awesome so you know I, I think I read the first issue mm-hmm. and I called and I said you know I said to my agent I'm in and then I read you know read the rest of them 
And then they set this meeting, and I go, and it's like, oh, that big showrunner they were talking about is Carlton freaking Cues. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so, you oh, know. This could get me. Yeah, you're right, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, so I'm like, uh, you know, a little nervous, you know, sitting across the room. But we, uh, we sort of broke the ice. We had a, you know, fun, you know, kind of discussion. I think we, we knew some similar people mm-hmm. on the feature side of things. And, and then we kind of got into it. And he was just like, you know, at this point, we we're at the end of development season, we, you know, it was August and we basically had, you know, three weeks to develop this pitch and try to, you know, wow. go sell it. So it was kind of like, let's move on this thing. Yeah. So I just, I pitched a take on it. Like, mm-hmm. this is the way I see this thing. It's this meets that, you know, and these are the two characters. This is how I open the thing. And this is how I see the mythology mm-hmm. going forward. And he just felt like, you know, I had said the thing that he had been looking for. Because I think wow. they were, they had been looking for the person to, to kind of crack this sure. thing. And they really wanted a feature writer to do it. Because I think they wanted somebody that was sort of coming in with a sort of kind of big mm-hmm. feature feature look at things that yeah. wasn't necessarily concerned about, about money. <laughs> and I've never thought about budget before writing. Because usually <laughs> it's like, we want this bigger, badder, right. more expensive. And TV is a to- you know, yeah. totally different model. Well, that was the thing that struck me right away is, like, it was just a bold script. And I feel yeah. like that's been missing the past few years. And there were a few of them this year that really had that, you know, making bold choices, uh, unafraid of budget or, you know, really any constraints. Yeah. Um, so I, that absolutely worked. Um, what I, The other thing that was interesting to me was, uh, you know, another bold choice, which is, you throw everything at <laughs> at the reader or the viewer immediately. Yeah, you know, which uh, is pretty great. Like TV tends to really take its time, uh, and it really felt like you were plunged into this world, and it's up to the reader to figure it out. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I um, right on. I, I think uh, I think <laughs> not really a question. Y- yeah, no, I, I I agree with you, and um, you know, it's funny as we go as we go into the editing process. You know, some of that is now, you know, as you, you know, you you write the film sort of on paper and then you write it while you're shooting it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly stuff that happened that came up like sort of happy accidents. It's like, oh, I like that. Go with that. And then you write it again in the editing room. And I think that's one of the challenges of this. But it's also one of the things that makes it a lot of fun. And it's sort of like with big mythologies that are on TV, you know, Game of Thrones being a great example. Mm -hmm. They sort of do that. And it's just like, look, this is the world these people live in. It's not their fault that you just arrived there. So it's your it's your job yeah. to get in here and kind of catch up with them. And hopefully you like the characters enough that over time, you know, you will you will fall into it. Because I think I think the thing with a mythology is that mythologies are more fun when you don't spoon feed them to everybody right away. When it sort of just lives in the world. And it's like, oh, oh, that's cool. Oh, and, that, and but they didn't really explain that. And then, you know, in episode four... Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we can put a finer point on that thing or finally get around to explaining it. Right. Instead, we're just kind of showing you things. We explore, the, you know, the core mythology of these mm-hmm. guns and what they're all about. Um, but I think that's the, the fun of this thing. And I, that's the way I've always approached this world building is these people all live here. You're a visitor. So it's your job to be inquisitive and come in and ask. And it's not like I'm going to withhold information from sure. you. I will in some cases. But you're going to be plunged in. and yeah. Exactly. And hopefully you like what's going on enough that... You also don't need to know every little last piece. Absolutely. I mean, this is just a pilot. So, yeah. you know, you're trying... You have to know there's going to be more. Exactly. So exactly. And stick if, with it. Exactly. And if we give you everything, first of all, it becomes too, you know, didactic mm-hmm. and too, you know, 
too too much to, to to digest. And there's also, but there's a fun in introducing something that you don't put a period on because this is only episode one of yeah. hopefully many hundreds of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Well, that's another thing that, like, you know, especially I guess Game of Thrones is sort of has become the impetus for this. Although, you know, the past few years, Lost is obviously a big one that, like, totally. I think I know that guy, <laughs> Little. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> where you know the. You're, you have this huge mythology. Uh, you have this story, which could be a feature. Yeah, you know totally. uh, what what makes this a TV show, right? You know, and I feel like that's something that has to get addressed in the pilot, right? right? Although, less and less do people ask that question because right. I feel like I read a lot of pilots this year, which were great ideas, but I don't know what the next episode is. Yeah, well, as long and, as someone does. And that's and that's that's a big problem with this new kind of push towards this mythic, you know, we're we're transitioning from as a as a as a uh, collective, as you know, as the human consciousness transitions from 22 episode episodic television to this more kind of 10, 13, mm-hmm. 15 episode serialized storytelling where it's really just 10, 13, 15 chapters of one very long yeah. story each season. Um, and I think we're still, you know, the writers are still figuring it out. The networks are certainly still trying to figure it out. And I think the audiences are getting more and more attuned to it where I don't know, you know, I mean, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, whatever television is, you know, whether it's the Netflix <laughs> wherever model. Wherever we look at it. Yeah, wherever, we, you know, I imagine we're still watching it in our homes, but, <laughs> you know, whatever device is delivering it to us. Um, I I ask the question all the time: Is there any more, you know, Matlock case of the week television, mm-hmm. or do we move entirely to this kind of really cool, really interesting, especially for writers, absolutely uh, serialized, episodic, you know, episodic in the sense that there's there's an episode and you can tell that part of the story, right. live with the characters, have the dinner scene or the scene where they're having mm-hmm. coffee, which you can no longer afford to do in movies because <laughs> it's like cut right. to cut to cut to going through. And it's much more it's a much more interesting dramatic medium to work in mm-hmm. uh, than uh, than movies for the person that likes to really get into the characters. Like when I write a movie, I can afford to get into the hero and the villain, right. and maybe like one, you know, maybe the love interest, one or two other, right. and and that's a lot of fun for me because I love the the you know going into a dark place, sitting for two hours, learning about this whole story, and having a satisfying conclusion at the end of it. Although now those are all trilogies anyway, so <laughs> it's always to be continued. It's semi-satisfying. Yes, semi-satisfying <laughs> with an open door. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but this is is great because the thing that, and I was thinking about this because I was thinking this is a project that you know, I could very easily have been handed that comic book mm-hmm. and said, you know, go go come up with a movie pitch right. for it. The movie pitch would be so different because you couldn't focus on all of the individual characters. With this, I was like, this is great. We don't even have to introduce all the characters right yeah. now. We can we can introduce them down the line, live with these guys, get to know them. And sort of the pilot stands as like, you know, stands as just a place to just, you know, you, you've come into this world at, you know, at, at in the middle of the timeline. Mm-hmm. You're meeting all these people in the middle of their lives. They've been working on this stuff since long before you tuned in. You kind of catch up with them, kind of start figuring out what they're mm-hmm. all about, and then the pilot's over. And hopefully, you know, we've given you enough of that that you want to come back and meet these people mm-hmm. and see who's going to screw over who and, you know, and 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 who's going to kill who as you know as as you you move, move on down the line. Mm-hmm. So, um, you yeah, I I think that um, I, it's something like this, that kind of mythic storytelling was so much more interesting um, in the TV medium 
Because you can live, you can almost make a main character out of every one of the characters. Absolutely. You know, was there pushback as you went along developing the script? from the network to say concentrate on this main character concentrate on you know this storyline something like it yes it's very much an ensemble cast you know the way Lost was and actually as big as this seems I think Carlton said that Lost was 16 characters they Mm -hmm. started off with and we only have we have like nine Mm -hmm. you know in terms of you know point of view characters so it's still even you know smaller and that's just the world is so big that it seems like there's all this and there's a lot of zany stuff going on so well, there's but, a lot of, yeah, crossing over. And, yeah, well, exactly. Like that, and they all kind of... Fascinating. All the Venn diagrams sort of cross yeah. over. There's none of where, you know, not not every single one, but one at least crosses over with two others, yeah. you know, as we go along. There was a, you know, there was a little bit of that just in in really honing in on the, you know, the, the, on the the main character, you know, part of this. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm a, I'm a big uh, devotee of Joseph Campbell, so mm-hmm. that, you know, Hero of 10,000 Faces. So there's always... You know, especially in these kinds of things, you'll always find that character in my work. <laughs> so the that character, the you know the the Luke Skywalker, the Harry Potter character, there was talk about that, but just making sure that the story was you know clear because sure. that's the that's the that's the anchor for this whole world and all this these, these crazy colorful characters mm-hmm. around it. You know, if you buy Luke Skywalker, you know when you meet. When you meet Chewbacca, mm-hmm. it's like okay, that's cool. That's just right. you know, it's a this is still this journey walking carpet, and you know, <laughs> and he talks, and and that's cool. But like, right. but like, I get Luke's dilemma, sure, and, and I'm with him. So yeah, I mean, I, you know that that was it. But there wasn't a lot of like, what you read is is what I what I set out to write. That's it's great. what it's what you know, Carlton and I worked on together. It's what we sold to the you know to the network. Mm-hmm. And they were very, you know, very hands off on in terms okay. of. Um, I mean, they were involved, but they right. they were they didn't they didn't try to like make it something that it wasn't. And I, it could have been just the utter insanity of what we were trying to set out and make. Or they they trust Carlton a hell of a lot, which sure. I know they do. Or they just you know they there were comics behind it, so they were mm-hmm. confident that they there knew was, there was a roadmap. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So sense. there there really wasn't any meddling and mm-hmm. and you know there and there hasn't been so um so it's been it's been great and you know and i you know all credit to uh universal and nbc on that one cuz sure. you know i went into this like you know this could be you know this could be a real you know, this could this could be one of those things that like you sell something and then by the you know, by the time right. you hand in the script you're like I'm not really sure what that is but that's totally not it. So well, how does that compare to your feature experience in, in development? Because <laughs> I cannot imagine like there's a reason we don't go near features. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, the the example that I always gave everybody coming up and and look, I love working. In, I I'm just I'm lucky to be doing this. So oh, as long luck. as they'll have that's me. implied for every conversation we have on these podcasts. Yes. We're lucky to be doing it, but that doesn't stop us from complaining. <laughs> from complaining, exactly. <laughs> so you know, I I, uh, I the story that I would tell people coming, yeah, because this this is I, I'm sort of the you know I'm the charmed you know I'm the charmed case here because mm-hmm. it's my first TV thing. I sold my first TV pitch. You know, they, I had my first pilot that I ever wrote, my first mm-hmm. TV script that I ever wrote, not counting the b- very bad X Files episode I wrote when I was seventeen. Oh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that. I'll, I'll keep you moving away from that. So we don't have to but um, uh, not counting that, this was the first TV script I ever wrote. Mm-hmm. I sold it. It got made, and you know now, and now we're cutting it, and, and you know, and hopefully we just you know we keep we keep seeing success. Yeah. But in, on the feature side, 
I haven't seen anything get made yet. My first movie gets goes in, in May, mm-hmm. and that is something that I was hired to write in the summer of 2008. <laughs> so it's you know so th- to me that's that's the the microcosm example of the, the film sure. versus TV. TV is very fast moving, sometimes blisteringly so, where you feel like you don't have time to to mm-hmm. you know to do certain things. Which is your own production? Was, well, right, sure, and and to, trying to trying to write twenty two episodes yeah. or whatever it ends up being. But on the on the feature side, it's like it's agonizingly slow, where it almost seems that. There, there are layers of of stuff between you and the movie getting made that are just there, really, to make sure that nothing is happening. Like, oh my god, out of the office, we, you know, the, there's a holiday coming up. So a week before the holiday, nothing is going on, and then a week after the holiday because we're recovering <laughs> for the holiday, and then that takes you to the next holiday, and it's like it's just amazing that any anything happens, mm-hmm. and um, and so you know. I've had very good experiences in, mm-hmm. in features that, you know, I've had good and, you know, good and bad. Um, but, you know, the TV thing has been all positive. But the thing is, you know, I come from a, I worked in uh, marketing and advertising when I was, you know, struggling as a, as a bad screenwriter <laughs> for years and years. So I, I came from this very regimented, you know, scheduled deadline driven world. And um, when I got to features, it was just like, there's no, you know, everybody wants the script yesterday, but they want the script yesterday so they can sit on it and not do anything with it. And say they have the script or put it back into development or whatever they do with it. Whereas TV, those are very real deadlines that are, you know, delivering an outline so you can get greenlit on the script so you can deliver Mm -hmm. the script. And then two weeks later, they're deciding which of those scripts they're going to make. I mean, just the time between you handing in the script and them greenlighting the thing. I don't think that happens on Spider-Man 3. I mean, you know, (laughs) a movie that's basically greenlit when they, you know, on the blank page. And and it's uh, so that's been just a jarring experience. (laughs) But it it, it jives with me because... I, you know, I thrive on the deadline. I like being busy. I like working. And certainly, who doesn't like working right. towards an actual Yeah, there's something very concrete yes. uh, about television. Yes. It's interesting, too. I mean, it also feels like so much more time in features is spent writing uh, because you're doing drafts and drafts and it can drag on and you're waiting to write also. But that's, you know, part of the writing. Whereas in TV, a lot more time is talked about is spent in planning and, right. you know, the talking about the script and then the writing of the script must have been very fast for you. Yeah, I actually, this is one of the easiest, once I got to the script stage for, you yeah. know, for the Six Gun, it was one of the easiest things I'd ever written because I, I think I just loved it so much and I just, I just, I, you know, I got it and I wanted to write it mm-hmm. and, you know, and I've had features where, where that's happened and certainly, you know, this is half the, half the length of a feature, so sure. there's, that, that plays in. But, um, I mean, I wrote the first draft of that thing in, like, three weeks. I mean, it was just, like, because yeah. I had fully outlined it. We had fully cracked the story. Because this, this is all part of the yeah. TV selling process. I mean, yeah, you, you outline and present that. Yes. You outline in features, but it's really just, you know, it's something you do for your own sanity or you do because the studio wants it, even though you're not really, you know, it's not really a step in the process. Mm-hmm. Not anymore, at least. I, yeah, I'm always curious about that. What what kind of steps are expected and what kind of steps are paid for? And I know like right. on the script notes podcast, they talk about this quite a bit cause they're feature guys. But, yeah. But what's been your experience with that kind of thing? I've never been paid for an outline. Mm-hmm. I heard that De Laurentiis productions, if you get hired by them, they will pay you for an the outline. Ones. So it's just been a dream of mine to work with them just because, <laughs> and not because I'm greedy or anything, but just because I want to have the, the satisfaction one time of being paid for an outline. Sure. Well, you're doing the just work been, anyway. Yeah. But uh, just, well, and I, and I always outline cause I'm, yeah. I'm a planner kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not the guy that that likes to live on the blank page. If I don't know what I'm writing the next day, or at least I haven't 
you know, thought about it in some concrete way where I know that, you know, this scene connects to this scene. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not a free writer at all. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the, you know, I've broken the story by the time I sit down to, you know, to write a script, which is, you know, very much in line with the TV process. Yeah. So I have a little bit of easier time. I mean, the outline that I wrote for this, I probably wouldn't have done as many passes on it because the desire is to, <laughs> you know, do the outline, you know, talk about it, go to the, go to the script. But that's part of the part of this process. So, but other than that, I mean, I probably would have written that outline for this, even if, you know, if it, if it wasn't a step mm-hmm. in the process, because sure. that's that's just how I work. How how thorough was that outline? How long was it? Uh, I I remember it being. I think I remember it being like ten pages. I'd have to go back and look at it, but I think it's like ten, okay. ten pages, nine pages, eleven pages, that's somewhere about, in there. About I mean. average for an hour. That's what yeah, I would think. I hear yeah. some are longer, but yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a it's a five act show plus a teaser. Mm-hmm. So you know, and man, that teaser. Yeah, well, and that's and that's what. Uh, uh, you know, stay tuned, everybody. Seriously, but, I hope people get to see this. But, uh, yeah, so that's and that's what sold. That's what sold the. I'm not surprised. That's what sold. I mean, we we pitched that in a room. We had we had the head of drama laughing in a, in a good way. Yeah, you know, at, it's so at, much fun at the insanity of it. Yeah, and then and then we you know and then we and then we you know we went on from there and talked talked about mm-hmm. the characters. But yeah, and I have you know I have to say now I was just watching it today mm-hmm. as the you know the effects and things are coming in. But it is exactly what I what I envisioned. It's almost Amazing. crazy because it's like I mean it's hard because you know I didn't you know I didn't write it with um, you know the the actor mm-hmm. in mind that that's that, you know that's in the scene because I couldn't have possibly known. Right. But, I mean, other than little things like that, it's like wow, this is actually what was in my head, and they found the location and like wow. yeah, and and like. And everything, so yeah, it was it was it was, awesome. it was totally great. Who was the director on the pilot? Uh, Jeffrey Reiner. He um, he uh, is very well known for his work on Friday Night Lights. He directed oh, okay. probably twenty plus episodes of Friday Night Lights. He directed the the Caprica pilot, uh, right. the event pilot, and then was a producing director on the event. And he uh, he also directed the uh, unfortunately ill fated Wonder Woman pilot for for David A. Kelly, but nobody um, blames him. For but that. no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't. I think he. I think he blames himself a little bit for it, but oh, it's just because he's a perfectionist. Yeah. But he's he's totally great, and yeah. he's. I mean, he's a really smart. He's a really smart uh, producer. So he comes at everything as you know, as kind of he's a TV producer, mm-hmm. and then you know, in this specific case, he's directing it. So you know, he's always thinking about like down the line. He's he's thinking about episode two, awesome. just in terms of what we're setting up. But he was totally great, and and I had never met him before this process, and you know, we were on set together, you know, the whole time, and you know, I I went into it like sort of like you know respecting his territory because he's this like kind of lion of yeah. of of TV and I've never you know I've never worked in TV before but he ended up being this terrific partner that was very collaborative and you know a lot of things like there were things that come up as they do mm-hmm. where you're just like okay you know we're losing daylight we need to solve this I pitch him something he pitch it back and we nice. and we got it all worked out and you know as as crazy as pilot production is I mean it was a very sane process you know That's the, great. There was no big incidents or anything like that. The crew was all happy, and you know the thing got shot and made on schedule. Awesome. So you know, I I owe a ton to to Jeff because that's great. That collaborative aspect of the medium uh, must have been novel for you. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> as I as I said, the uh, 
you know, the when the first day I showed up to production, I had that surreal thing where you like walk into Video Village and you see your name on the chair back, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, there's another Ryan Condal here. That's weird. <laughs> I wonder where I'm gonna go sit. And, you know, yeah, and uh, so that was totally bizarre. And then you know, and then you know, on the feature side, where you know the the writer is sort of um, begrudgingly tolerated as part a necessary part of the <laughs> sure. process. Like, if only we didn't need that script, we could just you know. But in TV, you're you know you're the guy that everybody's asking all the yeah. questions of, which got intimidating at, at points because <laughs> it was like you know I I I uh, you know you're answer you're answering questions with you know gut instincts and things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was totally great because it's like that's as close as you get to I think you know being the novelist where you were mm-hmm. the the you the storyteller. Everything on the page is you. You know yes, you're working with an editor, but it's a collaborative process. And at the end, that book for good or for bad is yours. And I think TV is the closest that, you know, other than being a writer-director, sure. which is more of a directorial position yeah. on, on the feature side, being a TV producer, being a, you know, a, a, a creator or developed mm-hmm. by guy is the closest you get to being the kind of, you know, the, the master storyteller. Of course, it's a largely collaborative experience, but, you know, with feature scripts, you know, you're used to turning them over. Somebody else, you know, takes it and then they go make their version of the movie. And that's sort of the way it is. And that's fine because that's that's you know, that's the job that you're doing. That's what you signed up for. But this, you know, I'm designing the guns with, in collaboration with the artists and the production designer and the prop makers and talking about, you know, maps and, you know, cool other things that, you know, that you'll see in the, in the, in the pilot. And, uh, and it's just totally great because it's like, wow, this is like, this is so much fun. You know, this is the thing, you know, I'm not, I'm not alone in my in my office with my <laughs> Bose headphones on. I'm actually talking to real people, and we're making a movie here. It's great. Let's talk about some of those movie experiences. Okay. Um, so, so you wrote this spec uh, that kind of got you attention. Yes, right? Galahad. Um, and when was this? Where did this come from? I and mean, we talked a little bit about you know Star Wars is an influence, sci-fi yes. is an influence, yes. westerns are an influence. But um, you were working in marketing. Yes. Uh, and did you write that this spec at that time? I I, I did. I, I was I was actually I was working at an ad agency here in uh, in Los Angeles that my my uh, lovely very supportive wife Caitlin still works at because that's that's how we met. And uh, she um, uh, you know she's she's a whole different part of my career. But I was uh, I was I was working there. I had been I had been writing. Um, I grew up in I grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I lived in Manhattan for a little while, worked in Manhattan in advertising, and I managed to move out to get my job to basically move me out to L.A. <laughs> because I've been the plan had always been to be a be a screenwriter. Like I wrote my first feature okay. when I was like twenty, so I had written a lot of you know a lot of stuff before I got out here, and I had just been writing, writing, writing. But I knew that I kind of needed the the sort of day job to kind of keep <laughs> me you know housed and alive and and everything else, and then I would just write at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Galahad was sort of the end run of me, you know, writing at night. And it was one of those things where I had almost gotten there, like in terms of getting a rep and breaking in, but it just didn't feel like it was happening. And that was based on previous spec work you had done? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of the bad scripts. Okay. This is always very interesting <laughs> okay. because, like, we have to go through that, yeah. right? We have to write the stuff to figure out how to write stuff. Uh, so besides the X Files at seventeen, what were uh, what were some of these other things that you tried at your hand at? Uh, I had written uh, the first thing I wrote. Well, I wrote that X Files script, and then the first thing I wrote was actually like a. I, looking back, it was like a 
it's like kind of a bad X Files ripoff in, <laughs> fe- in feature form. It was kind of interesting. I mean, you know, the concept is still something that interests me. It was based on remote viewing, mm-hmm. which is the uh, the theory that the CIA had these psychic spies that could go into these fugue states and then could see what was going mm-hmm. on in Russia. You know, during the during the eighties. Who knows? But I found that very interesting, and so I sort of wrote this story about these guys that had figured out how to do it. Um, while they were moving around and walking around, and there were these very dangerous spies that mm-hmm. knew all sorts of secrets, and they, you know, they needed to be stopped and things. And I think that the concept was cool. That the execution was very, very bad. Mm-hmm. And Did then, you know what a feature script looked like at this time? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I this was all going on in the late '90s, early 2000s. So Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott's mm-hmm. site, Word, you know, Word Player, oh, right. yeah, was up right. and running. I downloaded all those articles. I I well downloaded. I printed all those articles <laughs> oh, that's and hilarious. kept them in a binder, yeah. <laughs> and I would read them. You know, because that was my film school. Because I went to, you know, mm-hmm. I went to this. Uh, I went to Villanova, <laughs> which is you know great school, but there's no film program yeah. there. It's you know, so I would take humanities electives and this and that, but there was no real access to that. You know, the same stuff that you would get at like NYU or something. Right. So I just committed to putting myself through my version of oh, film that's school. Amazing. I mean, you were you were really committed and and ambitious in this yeah. regard. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you knew this was what you wanted to do. Yeah, you know, I was like, I was a, I was a, you know, I was an overachiever as a student, you know, all the, all the, you know, the same stories that I'm sure you hear from a lot of us that... Not ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, you know, I, I just threw myself into everything academically and I figured, mm-hmm. you know, anything that I wanted, I figured if I could approach it the way I approached, you know, science and math and studied and, you know, and put it into application, I figured I, you know, I could do it. And this was just something I very badly wanted. Hmm. And I didn't, you know, my dad was a computer programmer. My mom was a teacher. I didn't have anybody in the industry. So I just sort of had to figure out, you know, forge the road on my own. And, um, so I did that. I, I, I went to AFI and they have, you know, they keep their list of the top 100 movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I started at number 100 and I watched all the way down to number one. Holy I shit. analyzed them. I thought about them. I would go and try to find the scripts of them. And then, and then I just started reading whatever scripts I could get my hands on. And this is sort of still at the early time. So PDFs aren't ubiquitous at right. this point. And you're downloading from Drew Scriptorama. I remember you know. there were stores too. Like when yes. I was up in Boston, and they had scripts, you know, scripts and posters. Yes. at these movie stores. Yes, and I would grab so those I, up. I would buy every Cameron script that I could yeah. find, and you know, and, that's hilarious. And, and all those things, and and there was there was sort of like a kind of arcane elegance to you know to all that. And now <laughs> it's so easy to get a PDF of of whatever, which I think is great for mm-hmm. kids that are coming up now. But there was sort of something about the quest, you know, earlier of like. You know, I remember buying a copy of Blade, you know, mm-hmm. Goyer's script off of eBay <laughs> back in the day when you had to like, you bought something on eBay and you'd have to fill out the money order at the post office yep. and send it in the mail <laughs> and then hope to God that something arrived within the next two weeks. So, uh, yeah, but there was a, there was a fun sort of collecting kind of aspect mm-hmm. to all that. And, uh, so I did, you know, I did a bunch of that and then I just kept writing and my, my thing was always like, just do it. So I, I would just. You know, if you want to be a writer, write a script. Yeah. So I'd write a script. I'd look at it. I'd give it to a couple of friends. They would give me notes. I would take another pass at it, and then I'd put it away, and I'd move on to the next script. Oh wow! Because I was so kind you of really a... were just writing, writing, writing. Exactly. Because yeah. I was aware that, like, you know, as Stephen King wrote this great memoir. Um, I'm sure you've you've read on writing. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. It's the only writing book you need. Yeah, exactly. It's it's amazing, right? <laughs> it really it's, is. And, and I've read it like five times at different points during mm-hmm. my my career. And there, it's not like there are secrets in it. No, like it's it's practical and it's straightforward. Yes. but it's absolutely the way to learn to write is to write. Exactly, and one of the best pieces of advice in there, one of the most depressing pieces of advice, <laughs> is that the first million words are free. Right, 
And I really took that to heart. And and I was just like, I'm going to write until I think I have something that is good. And I was never one of those writers that was under the delusion that the first script that I wrote was good. I kind of knew that the first script I wrote was bad. I think it was really bad. I mean, I think I just knew that it was bad. I didn't realize how bad it was. But, but that's, that gives you a self-awareness that most new writers do not have. Yeah, I, I don't know. I... Maybe maybe there was a maybe there was a moment early on, but I, if there was, I was very quickly disabused of it, and then mm-hmm. I just sort of doubted myself, all, you know, all the way forward. And I and I think a lot of that is is you know has helped sh- you know shape the guys sitting before you now because you know it, I I'm harder on myself still than any anybody mm-hmm. else is, and it's just the way it has to be if you're ever going to you know keep kind of growing and evolving mm-hmm. and getting better. Well, especially in features or I would say like novel writing where you're so much on your own. Right. Uh, you know, with TV, you really have someone looking over your shoulder the whole time. Yeah, um, right on. Unless you're doing specs. Um, but I'm curious, and I, I just want to stop you there for a sec, about when you were going through this AFI list of 100 movies mm-hmm. and you were writing this early stuff, do you remember things that clicked for you along the way, lessons that you learned that were like these eureka moments? I, I had been very insulated at that point. Like, I, you know, the, you know, there's the joke, like, you know, you know, kids now like haven't listened to anything recorded after 2001 like or maybe even for you know yeah, I think farther forward than that's that. I think that's rock. being gen- yeah it's classic <laughs> rock right uh, I hadn't watched anything you know recorded after 1977 basically mm-hmm. you know with, with Star Wars because you know Star Wars was the first movie ever made everybody knows that <laughs> right and then from there forward there were a number of other genre and science fiction <laughs> so I uh, you know so I started getting into and th- this was right around like 1999 so it was that brilliant year of cinema Fight Club, American Beauty, uh, I think The Ice Storm might have been that year or, or the year before. Right. But there were these amazing movies that were totally not, you know, genre-oriented or anything that really moved me. Because I think I was at a point now where I was starting to kind of evolve and think about movies critically. And these things just, just changed me. And and so while the, all that was going on, I was going back and watching all the, all the classics. And what I realized was, like, you know, George Lucas, John Milius, James Cameron... Steven Spielberg, these guys were all influenced by, you know, just the way my generation is now influenced by all those sure. guys. They were all influenced by, you know, John Ford and Howard Hawks and, and you know, Alfred Hitchcock and, and the guys that they had grown up with. Sure. And when you start seeing the, oh, my God, that shot in Jaws, Hitchcock today, <laughs> Hitchcock ripped off Spielberg, you know, <laughs> right. get his agent on the phone. <laughs> I've cracked the case, you know. And and you you start putting those things together and it's like holy shit it's like this this all yeah. kind of there's there's a there's there's a history to this and then I just got there's a continuity to it exactly yeah. exactly and I fell in love with Humphrey Go- Humphrey Bogart and I fell in love with Albert Hitchcock hmm. and uh, Sidney Lumet and these oh, yeah. uh, you know and and you know the, um, Robert Redford as an actor and all the amazing movies he did in his yeah. you know in his, his younger days with Paul Newman. You know, The Sting is still, you know, something that I didn't see until I was probably in my early 20s mm-hmm. and is now one of my favorite movies that I've ever, you know, I can go back and I could go home and watch that movie tonight and take new things out of it. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a transformative process for me because when you start really seeing the old masters at work mm-hmm. and the techniques that they used that then you could use, you know, um, a John Ford making a traditional Western, some of the techniques that he uses that you can then use in your giant mythic Greek <laughs> epic and have it seem new because you're putting the genre spin on mm-hmm. it, uh, that's that's freaking cool. Mm-hmm. And that just, you know, yeah, that, that, that made me evolve as a writer. 
Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, I mean, the fact that you could put yourself through film school and it's now it's easier than ever. Oh, uh, totally. Great, yeah. There's great no excuse. I mean, you can get it. You can do it all on your iPad. I mean, yeah. I was I was I was renting from Netflix, but I was like one of those Netflix members that started in two thousand two and like the company. <laughs> so I was getting the you know the, the DVDs by mail and yeah. very slowly yeah. watching them. Oh, it was so inexpensive then. Yeah. Oh, it was it was totally great though. They had it had everything and yeah. going to the blockbuster and like and there were things that you know the African Queen was never on DVD. Mm-hmm. The first time that was on a home video was on Blu-ray. So there were holes missing in that That's that cool. I then had to fill in later. But um, but now, I mean, you, basically, you, you, you plug into either Amazon, iTunes, or Netflix, and you pretty much have yeah. 75% of the spectrum that you'll need Absolutely. totally covered. Did you do that stuff uh, in making the move to TV? Did you go back and learn the language, or were you well-versed enough just as a viewer? I, I kind of... T- <laughs> I, I, I watch a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, not, I'm not one of those... Feature writers that that like doesn't watch. TV. I watch a ton of TV. Well, it's I really hard not to now. I mean, that's yeah, where the good stuff great. is. Because <laughs> it's great. Yeah, and uh, uh, so I felt I had the, that kind of part of the language down, but I sort of took this maybe somewhat, you know, kind of arrogant or foolish or whatever <laughs> approach where it's like I'm just going to try to approach this as though I'm writing a 60 page feature and not really try to think about act breaks and A, B, and C stories. I'm just going to try to tell this as a story, you know? And uh, and I think the first pass didn't really have any act breaks in it because it was, just, you know, there were moments of tension that were then... But when you start thinking to the actual, you know, commercial break, the way you know the way you do in TV, that was a little different. But I think the, you know, the ebbs and flows of, of story and telling an ensemble story, you know, about a, a group of people, it's... You know, it's fairly similar to the way you'd you'd approach it on 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 the, on the feature side. So I didn't. I mean, I I think I that that season I actually did sit down. I wrote. I read all of the pilots that were going hmm. just to just to know what was going on and what was cool and what was yeah. working and, and and see all that. And I had read a bunch of like X Files and actually Lost and some um, Breaking Bad and some other things like coming up just because I wanted to you know I wanted to to read them and see you know see how that was done. But I didn't, you know, I didn't go to the level that I did mm-hmm. on the on the feature side because I, you know, I was like Carlton wanted a feature guy mm-hmm. for this, and I want I don't I, I want to approach this as a, as a feature guy sure. and have to be put in check by mm-hmm. you know the rules of TV and then the, you know the budget constraints of TV and what right. you can and, and can't do, and those things happen along the process. But I think it ended up it was a happy marriage of of, of the two because mm-hmm. you know Carlton's produced. Right. You know what, 500 hours of television. Exactly. I mean, you know, I had all of the knowledge and experience right there reading every draft of the script that, you know, that I would send over. So I didn't have to worry about that stuff as much. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, where did we leave off? All right. <laughs> we were, well, so you're writing yeah. bad scripts. Yes. Um, yeah. And then at Can we point, talk about the good scripts? No. Nope. <laughs> we're going to jump to it. But at what point did Galahad sort of uh, cohere for you? Yeah, so I was, um, I had kind of gotten to the end of my rope, and I was reading, I was writing a bunch of these, uh, a bunch of these, like, smaller, kind of, uh, uh, very producible 10 to $20 million dramas, or, hmm. or crime dramas, or what, you know, whatever they were, because my, my, sort of the method to my madness at the time was, uh, there's, there's this, um, contest in the Nickel Fellowships in Screenwriting, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're aware of. That seemed like a great entree into the business for somebody that literally had no contacts. I mean, I moved out here 
And I knew, like, a guy who had worked on ER, but not as a writer, you know, as, you know, as, as a, uh, and he's actually a, a writer now, but he, we were kind of in the same mode. But, like, he, so he was way ahead of me because he had all the, you know. Right. He was he, at least in it. He, George Clooney knew his name. I mean, that's, that's awesome, you know. But, like, that was it for me. So uh, I, needed, I needed some kind of, you know, buy on the way in. And, and I was always a big proponent and still am of writing as a meritocracy. And when you are good enough, and if you are good enough, yeah, <laughs> generally it's a meritocracy, but um, somebody will find you, some rep will find you, some, you know. So I really wanted to do it, uh, do it through through the through the writing, and not try to go the assistant route and everything. And I think that works for a lot of people. Sure. I just, I just, I came from an ad agency where the way in there was you become a receptionist and then at some point they put you into traffic which is are the people that mm-hmm. move the you know the jobs around to art and copy and the account team and all that <laughs> and then someday somebody promotes you from there and you become an art director or you become a copywriter right. or you become an account there's a pat yeah exactly but the the receptionist no matter what stage they were if they became an account person they were always that was the that was the that was the guy that used to Answer the phones at the front right. desk, and I don't think that there was like this, you know, built-in negativity around it. But there was there was always a cooler thing about the guy that came in from the outside <laughs> and was like this really smart copywriter and had all these great ideas. And I kind of wanted to be that guy. I didn't want anybody to know me unless they knew knew me from my writing. And it was sort of you know sort of a you know a crazy you know different way to approach it. But I'm glad I did it that way because I have this whole experience behind me that is you know much much different now mm-hmm. you know than, than it was. So I was writing these scripts trying to essentially get the attention of these bigger contests, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the nickel being, okay, being the, you know, the gold star of those. Right. And, and I just didn't think I could do that writing like, you know, writing the, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Hercules script or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And may, may, maybe so. But um, so yeah. I read the winners every year and tried and knowing that if, if I could just place in this thing, mm-hmm. I could get a manager and then it ended up working out. What do you remember? I'm really curious about this. What the commonalities among the winners every year were. They were, they were all very small character driven scripts. And I think that's changed a bit now because mm-hmm. there's more of this genre stuff going on. Sure. So I think there are some more of that, that kind of thing working, but I even know a writer that was, that was a finalist and he, he even though he's now, you know, a genre kind of kind of writer. He wrote this uh, this script called called Snatched, which was like essentially a kidnapping story, all contained to one car. <laughs> and it's like some you know, just got two guys in the back seat basically. Yeah. And um, and that was really compelling to everybody involved. And I just think that's what I, I for whatever reason that's that's what they respond to. And so, I mean, Snatched is a totally great script. Sure. It just wasn't. But there's certainly know, a mode that that, yeah, that they respond. Yeah, to. it wasn't a space opera. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, so I wrote this this little script called Human Resources, small crime drama. Um, uh, I was a sem- I managed to get to the semifinals as far as I got, but that was the top hundred out of mm-hmm. you know five thousand or whatever. So it was it was pretty cool. And my manager now, the guy that I'm am still with, um, uh, found me on on that on that list and 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 requested the script. I sent it to him. He really liked it. Called me in. And said basically, like, I, you know, I love your writing. I can never sell this. What else you got? And I had just come up with this idea for Galahad, which is essentially a, an Arthurian thriller where um, Queen Guinevere murders King Arthur at the end of the first act hmm. and frames Galahad for it. And he has to solve the crime, expose the queen, save the king, all, all that. So it becomes like Die Hard set in Camelot. <laughs> And, uh, that's how you pitch it. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> and I, I pitched it to him, and he loved the thing. 
and mm-hmm. uh, and this writer strike. This is right around the writer strike okay. that's just going on. So I had his undivided attention for three months because <laughs> he couldn't do anything other than right. develop new writers. Right, you weren't in the guild, right? Well, I was totally on the outside. Yeah. I was I was writing a spec of my own. I you know I I am great. Greatly thankful for all the writers that went on strike sure. and, and won us the, the battles that they won us and gave me the opportunity to, come, you know, because I, I I wrote, I had a spec ready by the time the strike ended, yeah. a spec that was vetted by these, really these managers and nobody else, working writers didn't have time to write a spec in that time because it was such a, you know, relatively short strike. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went out and we sold it and it was like people needed material and we, wow. you know, we sold it. So it was like, it was within two weeks I went from... Having a, a hip pocket manager to having somebody that was really excited about me to having his boss, the guy that ran the company, excited about me to uh, the week later I had an agent and then a week later I sold the script. And it was like That's this amazing like boom, boom, boom. And then yeah. four weeks after that I had my first big studio assignment at Warner Brothers. Oh, nice. And then you know a couple weeks later I, I booked the job for, for Hercules. It was just this amazing like sort wow. of like totally overnight – you know, quit quit my job at the advertising agency, and then was just doing it full time. And you know, thankfully, haven't you know haven't had to look back. How uh, I'm curious about these um, uh, studio assignments and the stuff that either you're you know you pitch on or that kind of come across your desk. How do those How do those work? Like, what was that first one after Galahad? Uh It was this. It was this um, comic book uh, called called Ocean, uh, mm-hmm. and it was a Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis. Yeah, yeah, you know it. <laughs> uh, a really cool, really really cool comic that um, that was uh, was a desired property over at Warner Brothers, um, part of the you know the DC library, mm-hmm. and uh, and they um, so they, they you know this this was sort of the tail end of the the good old days where every every studio executive had you know two or three original meaning like no one had written on it before mm-hmm. open writing assignments that they had to fill in a certain amount of time oh, wow. with a writer and now it just seems like that's no longer the case and you know is there even a job to be had at studio x anymore you know right now because mm-hmm. there's cutbacks and whatever else going on but this was a great time this was the blind deals were already dead at this point yeah but like this was the time when like if you if you made a splashy spec scale sale like I did, you'd come out, you'd meet with all the studio executives, and you'd have five actual real jobs to choose from. Not not in terms of like they were all my job, right. but just to choose like, like I'm going to pursue that one yeah, exactly. and go and and go at it because that's the one I that I like the most and I think I have the best chance of winning. And that was sort of that was the way you know that's the way it worked with uh, with Ocean, which is still a script that I that I like a whole lot and very proud of. Um, it was just it got caught up in. I got it caught up in that whole like when when DC Comics became DC Universe or DC Entertainment or whatever when they were trying to become more like Marvel Marvel was they sort of stopped development on everything and then it just it just never mm-hmm. started back up again so it was just you know one of those kind of situations and then was Hercules a similar situation yeah Hercules was uh, at the time it was set up at Spyglass um, which was the you know the little co finance mm-hmm. venture that um, you know Gary Barber and Roger Birnbaum had with. Um, Generally with Paramount, that's usually where they they place their stuff, and it was a Radical Comics comic book, which is Barry Levine's company, you know, Oblivion that's mm-hmm. that's coming uh, coming out now. Um, so it started as a, a comic book by this guy Steve Moore, great fun little book that is sort of this dark take on on Hercules, and they they brought me in. I mean, Galahad is obviously very close to that, and it was this you know right. Kind of, it made you know, sense. To it was it was a spec that everybody knew at that at that point. So they were like, we want you know we want you to write it. So I cracked the thing and 
Did you have to pitch on it? Was it yes. one of those? Deals? Yeah, I was okay. up against I think like five other writers, four okay. other writers. So it was very. Ocean was sort of like kind of earmarked for me, and I mm-hmm. won it. And, you know, provided that I didn't screw up. Right. It was mine. Hercules was a very competitive, oh, like sure. multiple people going into the head of Spyglass. You know, pit, you know, pitching in the room and all that. How did yeah. you pitch that you you know that you think they trusted you with the the property? Uh, you know, my Arthurian. St- script was very much about demythologizing mm-hmm. Camelot demythologizing King Arthur and like we remember King Arthur is this you know this this great man the, you know the line of Camelot but I'm going to show you this guy that's not at all that and show you kind of you know I'm going to peel all of the veneer off mm-hmm. of the legend and get at this thing that you know probably didn't happen either but is might might be much closer to the actual <laughs> truth of the, of the thing you know Lancelot is not the you know the great knight that we thought. Mm-hmm. Guinevere is not the you know fairy tale queen that we right. thought. Things like that. And this Hercules story was very much about that. You know, there's there's no um, there's no monsters. There's no magic. There's nothing in this. It's about a guy who everybody thinks is the son of Zeus and what that means to him and how people hate him and they fear him and they love him and he goes through life. He's the greatest warrior on the planet, um, but he's he's also the most famous man on the planet. But he doesn't believe in his own press, essentially, even though other people do. And I think that taking that approach and just kind of overlaying it on that, like, this is how I'm going to demythologize this thing. And this is how I'm going to show you what the Nemean lion myth, that, how that actually worked and why he wears the lion skin. Yeah. And I think they just, they just liked all that. And I think, you know, they believed that I could live in that kind of world and write that kind of action and, and things like that. And they took a flyer on me. And, you know, five years later... It paid off, so we're you know we're all good. Oh, features. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how was the process? Like, at what point did a director come on board? How long were you writing before you actually saw some momentum in this thing? I developed it for probably, I want to say, a year and a half. Wow. And then we started getting getting into directors, and a lot of that was like I was a new writer, mm-hmm. and I had I had written a I had written a spec, and then it done well, but that was all in my own head and my own choices that I was making. I was not writing for for bosses, mm-hmm. you know. And I think I had to learn that process a bit and how to write for a studio and the difference between, you know, the spec script that that gets bought and the script that you're actually going to shape for a studio to make to make a movie out of. Because even the Galahad script that I sold wasn't really the movie that you mm-hmm. know wasn't to the point the movie that they wanted to, wanted to make in terms of all of the movements and everything because so there are, are things that you need to do to shape it yeah you know? what are those kinds of differences what how is a studio noted script different from the one that you write freely i mean my first you know the first draft of galahad is very hard r-rated with lots of you know entrails and beheadings and and uh, and rape. Actually, the best note I had ever gotten was my first draft of Hercules, which was very much an R-rated draft. And and this is going to be a total PG thirteen mm-hmm. movie, obviously. Now this was a long time ago. I got a note from the producers. Uh, you know, Pete Berg is is a producer oh, right. on, on the film, so his his uh, his uh, his producer Braden um, uh, said, uh, "We need the second draft to be a lot less rapey." <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I can. That's a good note. It's a good note, and I you know, know how to execute that. I'm. Uh, I, we will creatively disagree on this, but I. You know, and I really like. It sounds. It sounds like I wrote this horribly dark script. I don't even remember. Mm-hmm. There was probably like one incident or mention of it, and and it just you know it sends off the flag. Sure. But, but you know, so that's the difference between making a big commercial film. Sort of the choices you make. You know, the the hero has to always be heroic. 
even when he's being sort of a, a dick, he has to be kind of a heroic dick, mm-hmm. you know. And and I didn't have all those you know those kind of nuanced things, and and you, and you have to you have to learn how to do that. Like you know, the hero has to change over time mm-hmm. to you know to satisfy the you know the 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 studio note that you will always get, which is you know how does the character change? But they also don't want him to be a total douchebag when you meet him, right? Because that you know that makes him an unlikable character. You have character. to like him immediately. So, so you have to have this incredibly likable guy that still could be better, <laughs> and he has to go to you know to this new level. And it's just it's about you know it's about figuring out how you know how those thing those things work. Mm-hmm. And you know the thing I always point to is um, which I, I think they did a terrific job with it when uh, you know Lindelof and Kurtzman and Orsi and and JJ uh, reinvented Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. You know he was that was mm-hmm. a. That's a good example of a character you kind of love, <laughs> but like, wow, is that guy? Does he need like to be right. punched in the face? That and he and he did multiple times, and then he came, <laughs> you know he came out the other end. Yeah, you know, and and that's a good model. So, so that's a good you know, and it's not the be all and end all, but it's a good example of kind of recent movie making where the character has a big change, but he's also not somebody that you just deplore at, right. <laughs> at the beginning of the movie. Right. And I imagine you could look at sort of classic Hollywood movies too for that. You oh, know? totally. Especially like westerns and stuff. It's only in the seventies where it starts to get muddy. Right, right. But I, I would make the case that uh, John Wayne probably had one character arc in his sure. whole his whole career. <laughs> um, Clint Eastwood never really arced all that much, you know. But the, Indiana but like Jones didn't didn't change. I mean, exactly. I know we all say this thing about him getting faith at the end of Raiders. Right. I think. I think that's a thematic sort of thing yeah. for him. I don't think that was ever baked into the character because I, mm-hmm. I think you know I think movie characters are, are about you know people that have a very they're a very unique they're sort of an iconic presence especially these big action movies mm-hmm. and things, but they don't really change that much. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I mean some movies they change and 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 that's necessary. But like in Indiana Jones, you just love him because he's this whip toting. You know, yeah. gun shooting archaeologist. There's that, something visceral about it, it. Yeah, and it belongs in a museum, and you love that guy, and you'll watch <laughs> him do anything. And you, he gets hurt, and you like seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't like seeing him get hurt, but you, you know, you, you can empathize with right. him, and he's a real human, and and all that. So, I mean, I've debated this with you know a number of people throughout time. But when you when you're writing, you you have to figure out those. You know, what is this guy's? Sure. You know, what is this guy's? And there are for the studios boxes to check. Oh, t- totally, yeah. totally, and and you know, and and. You're, they're, they're gatekeepers that are mm-hmm. that are um, you know they decide which scripts go to directors they decide which of those directors they're going to attach they decide which of those scripts they're going to develop with you and Absolutely. which ones are going to move on and then they decide at what point we're going to go out and get an actor and what kind of actor do we need or want or mm-hmm. or can we you know can we get or can we get this does this movie need uh, you know does this movie need Tom Hardy or can we make it with you know can we make it with somebody else mm-hmm. does this movie need Brad Pitt you know so so you, if you want to get movies made, which every writer should want to do, because it, it, every time you get a movie made, it buys you that much more freedom in terms of what you can do and the projects you can work on. Um, you have to be able to work within within that system. Absolutely. And they're you know they're the ones that are putting out one hundred and twenty dollars, right. one hundred and twenty million dollars, <laughs> not you. So yeah, you can absolutely. bitch and moan about it all you want, but you know that's they'll find someone who doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Them, them's the facts, and 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 frankly, when it when it's all working. They want to make the best damn thing that they can yeah. they can possibly do, and they want to make something interesting, and they don't want to make pastiche. They want to make you know new and cool, and everybody wanted to make District Nine when District Nine mm-hmm. came out, and everybody wanted mm-hmm. to make Inception when Inception came out. It doesn't always turn out that way, but I still think right now there are, you know even the things that I'm working on on the feature side, there's a there's a true desire to do that new and interesting and different mm-hmm. and different thing. 
good to hear. Yeah. It's not always what we hear. It's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I try and... I, I'm really not a cynical guy. Like mm-hmm. I have, I have moments of jadedness and things like that. It's it's all part of the gallows humor of working in, right. in this kind of industry. But I really think that this is a collective, generally a collective of people that are trying to do, uh, do new and cool Absolutely. and interesting things. Well, they got into it because you know the exactly. same reasons we did. Exactly. I responded to ET as a kid, or I responded to Jaws as a kid. Exactly. Like, and how you, do I recapture that? And the near suicidal motivation that you need to get there just says that you know there's a there's a passion there. I really, I mean, I believe some people do it for the wrong reasons, but um, certainly you know much less on the creative side, mm-hmm. at least with the people that are successful at it. And uh, there's you know I I, I just think that they're they're there to to you know to to make good things mm-hmm. and um, and that's you know it was a rare thing in 1975 as great a year of filmmaking that was there's still a bunch of crap of that was made that year that yeah. you've never seen never heard right. of never made it to DVD history is sort of a way of weeding out yeah. the stuff because the you know the only thing that gets the you know hundredth anniversary Universal Blu-ray restoration is the great film that everybody wants right. to buy on Blu-ray <laughs> so it's easy to remember how great Jaws was but not you know I mean yeah. did you. Jo- there was a Jaws 4. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even in the box set. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, What is the stuff you are watching these days? What are you reading? What are you putting in your eyes and ears that's getting you excited to read and well, write? Well, in terms of reading, I, I really find myself... I read when I read fiction when it's when it's a job or sent to me mm-hmm. or something like that. I really read a lot less fiction now just because I'm I'm living it all the time. It's just I want a break from it. Yeah. So I actually read a lot of nonfiction. What are you reading? Um, uh, I just bought and just just started um, this uh, the Searchers book, the one mm-hmm. that Martin Scorsese oh, wrote the yes. article about, yeah, yeah, yeah. which so far is terrific. I mean, I'm just I'm just pages into awesome. it, but it's like this is really cool. And yeah. you know, and Searchers was such a huge influence on a lot of my heroes mm-hmm. like Milius and Spielberg Absolutely. and all that that. That um that I, I just want to kind of get into that and, and know that you know through them so yeah. I've read that I read a lot you know biographies uh, I read this really cool book called Fingerprints of the Gods which is by this guy Graham Hancock who's sort of this marginalized historian who believes that um, human civilization is like ten thousand years older than we think it is and there were all these like kind of lost cultures that sort of like that the pyramids maybe are much older than we think and from a different culture that you know the Egyptians kind of moved there and settled around the pyramids yeah. but and and it sounds crazy I mean it sounds like it sounds like you know ancient right. aliens history yeah, channels it sounds crackpot. but he, yeah it sounds crackpot but he's got these great kind of these and every chapter you're like no and then by the end of the chapter you're like shit like the the sphinx has signs of water erosion all over it and the last time there was that level of water rainfall in, in Egypt was like 12,000 BC or something like that. And otherwise it's unexplainable because there is no, you know, so geologists have kind, kind of said, well, the Sphinx can't be that old. So we have to figure out different reasons for the erosion um, like this. And Graham starts with this place from this place <clears throat> where it's like, this, this is what I'm looking at. Now I need to explain it. So, I mean, it might all be totally crackpot, but as a, as a fiction it, writer, yeah, it sure as hell very fascinating to me, you know. <laughs> Um, in terms of TV, uh, you know, I'm going to give you all the sort of cliched answers. I love Mad Men. I love Breaking Bad. You know, big Game of Thrones fan. You know, do you? I'm curious as someone who you know kind of dabbles in this world. Mm-hmm. I've more than dabbles, but <laughs> who lives in this world yes. really um, and works in this world. 
do you view Game of Thrones uh, with a critical eye? Are you able to jump right in? How, how do you watch that show? I watch critically. I've read the books, so oh, in all them. fairness, yeah, yeah. So I've read the books, and and <clears throat> um, and uh, and they're and they're totally great. I mean, they're just they're amazing, uh, you know, amazing works of fiction. Um, I definitely watch the show critically, but it's so it's so damn good. And now. I'm watching season three from the perspective of a guy that had just been through TV production, and I am telling you, I am oh, yeah. amazed at what they are able to do. <laughs> it's amazed it's at what they're able to do. Um, yeah, I actually, they're making a, a 12-hour movie or whatever. It, yeah, it is, yeah. An hour movie. It, unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. And the, and the quality of the, the, the costumes and the mm-hmm. production design and the locations that they get. I mean, they're, you know, I actually, uh, you know, great kind of nerdy moment in my, in my life. You have all these, these sort of pinch me moments as you, as you come up and you meet, you know, you meet directors that you're a fan mm-hmm. of and actors that you're, you know, things like that. Uh, I actually got to have dinner with George R. R. Martin when I was in Santa okay. Fe because he lives there and oh, we, we, we have the same, we have the same, uh, we have the same agents. We have a, agent crossover and I had mentioned that I was a fan, and, and they're like, well, you know, why don't we set you guys up? So he actually came to set for a day, which was totally great, because it's nuts. like, let me show you around my awesome Western. You know? <laughs> Do you don't mean- you like what I'm doing? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Big fan, I know. So, and then we, and then we had dinner, so it was just, it was totally great. And he's, oh, like, he's, such, a, he's such a great guy, and yeah. like, knows more about, you know, genre than, than I will ever know. And um, but he was you know talking to me a lot about you know the, the production process that they and they basically write ten scripts yeah. and then they go into production and it's yeah. it's amazing and they cross board everything and they're shooting things it's really smartly put together everything in Iceland gets shot you know yeah. from episode two four seven all gets shot at yeah. once by different directors of the, each episode and then they move it's it's amazing <laughs> that you know and he said basically you know David and Dan came in and. They, they had never worked in TV before, and they were like, well, what's the best way to do this? And they sort of broke all the TV rules about how you make TV and came up with this new system that, you know, he thinks, and now I think after hearing it, is going to probably be used a lot, a lot, sure. a lot more on these smaller, you know, because that's just a 10-episode show. I mean, right. you know, the network show and things when like that. When you have that huge a production and that small uh, an order, exactly, you can treat it like a movie. You exactly. can shoot out a location. Exactly, yeah. and they do. And they do so. So that you know that that was all amazing and, and just. But you know, I watch it with a much different eye now, and I'm still critical, you know, story wise. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I the, the the drama that happens from scene to scene in that show yeah. is so so damn good and and uh, all character driven. And yeah, there you know, there's a dragon sitting on on uh, you know Khaleesi's shoulder, and there's you know there's there's a there's a guy from some made up culture speaking a made up <laughs> language standing across from her. But they're still having a conversation that is entirely. You know, you buy it and I buy it, and it's a it's about some issue that even if we've never had it in our lives, we could totally get it. And this yeah. could very well be an episode of The Sopranos. Yeah, or, I think that's what, that's what the show is really great at. Yeah, is, uh, making these things important enough to the characters that we're that, that we buy in and, yeah. and 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 we believe it. So uh, yeah, so I lo- I love that show. Um, I actually love Southland on TNT, so and good. and it's amazing. And and it's just not, you know I don't say that I I don't mean to sound surprised at that, but like. I just don't, you know. I've sort of had my fill of cop shows yeah, otherwise. Oh, absolutely. But man, I, I love that show, yeah. and and uh, I, I you know watch that every week, and I watch a, I watch a ton of comedy. Um, I love the Venture Brothers mm-hmm. on uh, on Cartoon Network, and you know can't get enough of that. And I'm well, excited. It feels like they're getting to do in comedy what you enjoy doing oh, in drama. And, to- and totally. And, genre. and talk about there being no words. no no budget limitations, yeah. right? Animation. Well. <laughs> well, I mean, there are, but like you can you can you know yeah. animating a you know. Anim- 
animating a city being swallowed into the earth right. is the same as animating a conversation between Brock and yeah, exactly. you know, and whoever. So it's like you can do what you can tell whatever story you want yeah. in that. In and, the and they are, which is awesome. Which like, is great. It's great it's to great. see something so ambitious. Which I, you know, that's what these all have in common. Like, totally. South, yeah. The writers of Southland and John Wells himself doesn't sit down and go, "Well, let's make a cop show." They say, "Let's make the best cop show." Yeah, and and it, it I think it, it oh, is. Absolutely. It is, and it, and it. It's totally compelling and just great characters, great stories. Um, you know, I, I love all that stuff. Um, I, you know, I, I started watching Vikings. I have a lot of catching up to do because I was I was away for a month, so my DVR is filled. <laughs> I have the Americans basically all waiting for me. House of Cards is 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 great. Yeah, I haven't gotten into it yet. I've been watching it. that. I'm looking forward to Hemlock Grove. I just saw the you know the bus thing outside, mm-hmm. and but I love all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, it's great, and I I love I love um, you know seeing what other people are doing and, and getting into. And are there movies that you saw in the past year or two that you got excited in the way you know? You did when doing your homework, you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's hard now, but um, but like this year, like I love Django. I just mm. I, I'm this like unapologetic Tarantino fan, like, and I'm one of the weird guys. Like, I'll I'll admit that I actually like his late stage stuff more than his early stuff. So I love Pulp it's not like Fiction. He has a lot of stuff. He does. He doesn't. But what I'm talking about is his sort of surrealist Kill Bill and on. Like, I love Kill Bill and Glorious Bastards and mm-hmm. Django more as a collective than I did his early mm-hmm. stuff. I love Pulp Fiction, but to me it's Pulp Fiction and then sort of everything else. Sure. Like Jackie Brown, you know, they're all great. Yeah. Reservoir Dogs, great crime drama. But in terms of something that's where you <clears throat> see this, like, nobody else could write Kill Bill and get away mm-hmm. with it because that is distinctly a Tarantino movie. Yeah. You know, other people tried the Pulp Fiction thing, but you could go out and write Reservoir Dogs or some mm-hmm. some new spin on Reservoir Dogs, yeah. and have it. Have you could it do work. that size crime drama that's yeah. as interesting. Yeah. yeah, but with the mishmashing and the samurai and whatever you know, yeah. the retelling of Hitler. Who else could get get away with actually killing Hitler in a movie theater? And having it having it be totally plausible Absolutely. and like you walk around. and satisfying and satisfying yeah. exactly uh, and I feel like um, he's doing with I haven't seen Django but Inglorious Bastards certainly I felt this way it was like he's giving the audience that same jolt that he gave us with Pulp Fiction and Pulp Fiction seems almost subdued now yes <laughs> you know? but at the time it, it wasn't at all yeah right um, and and now so he's having to push further and indulge in the stuff that he loves to indulge in even more which the audience like that, that's exciting for us right it's right it's not the same old thing and, and as a guy who just came off making a weird western I will tell you that I I don't know if we get picked up without Django Mm-hmm. Django had just come around. It had just made more than any other Western had ever made. Mm-hmm. I mean, save like Dances of the Wolves. I think it might have even passed that now mm-hmm. worldwide. And uh, and the studio saw that and they were like, because we kept selling it as like, this is our version. You know, it's a, it's like a supernatural version of like, like a Django Unchained. And at that point, That's we were right. just showing them trailers and things because the movie hadn't yeah. come out. So, you know, so I, I owe a debt of gratitude to, yeah. you know, to Tarantino for, you know, for a lot of stuff, but especially for his timely release of, <laughs> of Django Unchained. Because, as you know, like, Westerns live and die every year based on what Western gets released that year. Absolutely. So, like, True Grit comes out, everybody wants a Western. Cowboys and Aliens comes out, and then nobody wants a Western. And then, and then Django, you know, and no, no slight to Cowboys and Aliens, because, I mean, you know, I totally appreciate what they did in the genre blending mm-hmm. and everything. But, you know, some things work and some things don't. And it's sort of like, Westerns are always iconic. They're always great. They're people... There's always a, there's always an appetite for them, but it's just that unlike anything else. I mean, a bad superhero movie can can come out, but that doesn't mean they're not going to make a another superhero movie. But with westerns, it's always the the, the temperature mm-hmm. of the of the time. And now, thankfully, we're in this hot time where you know Django is very successful, and everybody kind of wants 
you know, that version of, of the of the Western. And it felt like Six Gun was hitting a lot of those kind of pulpy aspects. Oh, that, totally. That, that I think Django and that all the Tarantino movie have has, but like, uh, you know, was that is is that stuff that you've kind of grown up watching? Is that stuff that you like to play with the the pulp? Uh, fiction, yeah, so to speak. <laughs> Very nicely done. To say it. Very nice done. <laughs> My coffee's all wearing off. <laughs> um, uh, yes, I mean, I, I, I love, I love all that stuff, and I, I think, you know, when you, when you, when you're a writer, I think things sort of seep in subconsciously that you don't even aware, you're not aware of, and you, you like things from, like, mm-hmm. I love historic fiction. Like Lincoln was another movie this year that. That I saw that I just I loved Lincoln. I I, I thought it, it it was basically a play because mm-hmm. it's just guys talking in a room, and I thought it was compelling from Absolutely. frame one to frame you know whatever, and uh, and love that movie. And there are things that I took from that movie. I mean, mm-hmm. I wish I could write one scene as good as Tony Kushner wrote that entire movie. You know, <laughs> and and there's so much to learn from it, and things to take from it, and the mm-hmm. way characters interact, and everything like that. So I think I'm constantly doing that from everything that I see. Sure. I mean, even you know. I think there are elements of comedy that you'll see in the Six Gun that you could probably tie back to, you know, the Venture Brothers, mm-hmm. which you know I've seen every episode. Sure. And I, I love that show, and I'm quoting it all the time, and, <laughs> and people never know what I'm talking about. God damn, <laughs> because it. it's criminally underseen. It really is. We need to change that. So everybody watch the Venture Brothers. Um, but it is kind of this, you know, mash of stories and cultures and things, and that I think, you know. Uh, which Venture Brothers is, which Six Gun is, which Django is, that I think the viewing public is now ready for. You yes. know, I feel like well, I saw this in a couple of scripts this year too, where you know they leaned heavily on the pulp stuff, uh, and it's just because like we can handle it now. Right. Yeah. I mean, but then there's also a limit, and mm-hmm. if I read one more script about um, about you know. Uh, uh, you know George Washington as a you know <laughs> as a as a, a werewolf slayer or whatever right. you know whatever uh, and you know these these out of time things like my uh, my very good friend uh, uh, Dave Callahan who wrote created the Expendables you know mm-hmm. the, the, the series that became the Expendables um, he he wrote this very funny script called um, America the Motion Picture that was um, written by the people. And it was essentially a send-up of all these things. And, like, the first scene is... Uh, you can find it online if anybody's interested because he, he posted it there because it is a property of the people. Uh, the first scene is, uh, I believe, Abraham Lincoln dying in the arms of George Washington. And it just kind of goes on from there. And, uh, oh and, God, and brilliant. But it's, it's a send-up of all this recent... Like, I don't know what the... Like, I get, like, why Kill Bill works because it's a mash of the assassin right. movie and the mob movie and... and big genre and like the Hong Kong action film and all that. I get why that works. I don't know what this fascination is of turning historic characters that we all know into like, you know, into like, you know, you know, the next thing is like, you know, George Washington Carver, you know, you know, peanut slayer and like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Everyone knows vampires are allergic to peanuts. Well, he has the greatest power to stop them. That's, that's very true. That's very true. So, uh, you know... It, is, it has gotten to a, a critical mass. Yes. Absolutely. And, and I understand... I, I think it comes from the... It comes, unfortunately, from a cynical place where, you know, Hollywood wants, like, pre-branded things. Yeah. And, and we're all looking... Like, I, I did the public domain thing with, with, with Galahad. Yeah. I took an Arthurian legend. I reinvented it. This was, you know, six years ago. Right. And this was a little less prevalent than it is now. So I kind of get that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, 
enough already. Come up with you know, come up with a more interesting story. So I think the genre blending. I think the trick with that is to do it in ways where it's subtle and where you're not like this meets that. Right. Bam. You're playing in worlds. You're playing in tones, and you're not playing specifically with exactly. know, Rapunzel versus the Wolfman. Exactly. Whatever, which. I can exactly. Totally go sell right yeah, now. Yeah, you, you you should go <laughs> off and write that. <laughs> write um, that tonight. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking about. Yeah, this. thank you, Ben. Uh, the script is great. I can't wait to see this pilot. It's going to go for <laughs> ten years. This show. Oh, and, well, great! Thank uh, there's you. There's so much world there to play in. Thank you. I, so I appreciate that. Please, uh, please, uh, you know, from your lips to God's ears, because <laughs> uh, we uh, we all want to get picked up. But thank you. Cool. Good luck. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com.